Jesus' name, amen. All right, John Lieb is going to come up and give you the message. Before we do that, uh, how many of you guys have been, how many of your homes have been struck with the Black Plague? Okay. Obviously, it wouldn't be here, would they, if they were struck with the Black Plague? I guess that's a silly question. But uh, when I say the Black Plague, I just mean this flu that's just devastating. Anybody, anybody still kind of feeling it lingering on? Wow. I mean... I want to get a picture of this. There's only one. There's only one sick. Well, there's people that are sick today. Jay and Maggie aren't here because they're all they're sick. Uh, hey, I want to encourage you to do this. It's a real simple thing you can do. Uh, and you may think, oh, this is like, you know, Christian mysticism. You can bless people, and break the power of sickness in people's body. And you just just pray a simple prayer. If you have somebody at work that comes into work and they're struggling with how they feel, just say, is, could I just pray for you for a second. And seriously, this is how simple. I, I, wrote it, I wrote it down. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bless you to be free from your sickness. Just pray that. God, you'd be surprised how many times God honors that. I remember years ago, our administrative assistant at church, she was working part-time for us, and she also worked for a vice president. At, uh, back then, it used to be called, gosh, I don't remember which big bank it was. They all buy each other and gobble each other up. You know that thing? And uh, I called Allison, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she goes, John, I go, can you turn your volume up? Can you speak into the phone? Can you turn off the speakerphone? She goes, I'm talking into the phone. I've got laryngitis. And I go, what are you doing at work? <laughs> so I'm dedicated. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, my boss has been uh, taking all the phone calls today. He had to have me come in today because they're in the middle of some project. And I said, I said, okay. And I got my question and answer. I said, hey, can I just pray for you for a second? She goes, okay. I could barely hear. I just I prayed just like that, like just simple prayer. She goes, okay, thanks, John. Oh, my God. She goes, what? She goes, my voice, it's like totally normal. She goes, what happened? She started crying. And I said, I just think God, you know, God touched you. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't do something over the phone. So her boss came in and said to her, gosh, uh, Allison, you know, I know you've been sick and blah, 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 blah. And, and he's talking to her because, you know, he's been talking and she hasn't been saying anything. She just writes stuff down. And she says something to him. He goes, in her normal voice, he goes, what happened to you? Have you been faking it? <laughs> and she goes, no, no, no. He goes, what happened? He said, well, my pastor prayed for me over the phone. And he goes, no way. Like, you were sick. And, you know, she had, it, just, it just left her body. You know, as believers in Jesus, we do have power and authority from Christ to pray for things. And, and I know sometimes it doesn't work, but it doesn't mean God doesn't want to use us to, to, to see people set free. So I encourage you to do that. Anyway, one, one more thing. Uh, I don't know if you're like me. I'm, I love movies, and uh, uh, I have Netflix, and so I'll watch movies. And, and have you ever seen on Netflix, once you watch a movie, uh, a few days later, a row of movies will come up, and it says, because you watch this, and it'll have all these suggestions. And, and you know, Netflix is, is, is a pretty well-run company, but I can tell you, the algorithm that they use on my <laughs> subscription is, it, I think the guys that wrote that code must have gotten their, their coding certificate online, or, you know, uh, through the post office or from, you know, some disreputable place because let me just say, I watched The Lord of the Rings, you know, the first one the other day, 
last week. And so about three days later, I get this, this, because you watched The Lord of the Rings, you might like, okay? Here's some of the movies. Men Who Stare at Goats. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Jarknado 5. <laughs> I got two more. <laughs> Wild Hogs. Okay. I was thinking, okay, it's kind of a buddy, Lord of the Rings is kind of a buddy picture, Wild Hogs buddy picture, okay, kind of a stretch, you know, there wasn't any hacking off limbs in Wild Hogs. Last one, last one, they suggested, because you like the Lord of the Rings, for sure you would like White Christmas. <laughs> Honest to goodness, there were 20 movies like that that were so far from the Lord of the Rings, I thought, and you think this is going to keep me watching Netflix if, I, if you know, I'm like this. You guys really need to work on this. Anyway, that had nothing to do with what I want to talk about. I just threw it in because I, I had this week, I had one of those weeks. Uh, the point I want you to take home today is really simple. It's this. The point we live out our faith in Jesus when it's hard is when we begin to personally experience Jesus is everything we need and more. Okay? So when we begin to take our faith seriously in Jesus and live it out when it's hard is when it starts working. And you may think, but isn't it supposed to work so it, doesn't, it isn't so hard? <laughs> no, it doesn't work that way. And I want to explain to you why it doesn't. Because so many times we, we as Americans... We're in a very consumer-oriented society. And when you get something from Amazon and it doesn't work, you send it back. Or you tinker with it. You know? or, or you, first you complain to your friends on Facebook. Then you send it back, right? And, and most businesses are very consumer-sensitive now, and you know, the, the take-back policy is, is pretty liberal. It's like, if you don't like it for any reason, you know, that's cool. It was snowing the day you got it. You didn't like it because of that. We'll take it back. Life is not supposed to work that way. I don't mean that, you know, it isn't good to, when something's broken to get a, a replacement. But we have this deal that we think faith is going to insulate us from hard stuff. When the truth is, when we face the hard stuff and we actually live out our faith in Jesus, that's when things change and we find out what is really in the gospel. And we find out, in particular, that Jesus is way more than we need. He's way more than, than we'll ever need. But we will never discover that if we don't live out our faith when it's hard to do it. Now, when, if you would, there's a story in the book of Luke, and there's paperback Bibles like this under the chair seat in front of you, and we're going to start reading from page 735. And it's one of the stories of Jesus appearing to people and, and interacting with them after his resurrection. So, start... In verse 13, uh, chapter 24. Thank you. I figured everybody would just know without me having to tell you. It says, Now the same day, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? 
What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they didn't see. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. So, stop here just to make a point. What Jesus is saying, it's a pretty striking thing. He said all the story of the Old Testament is, is pointing to me. It's all about me. It is all about Jesus. Now, they're, in a, they're facing a really difficult time. We'll, we'll explore that in just a second so you really get a feel for, for how hard it was on these people, these two people that, that Jesus is encountering. And so in verse 28, let's pick up. He says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got, <coughs> excuse me, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, so that Jesus' eleven disciples minus <coughs> uh, Judas, who betrayed him. And they were assembled together, and they said to them, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, these two people faced this incredibly difficult life situation. And their life situation, we're not going to face an, an exact parallel to it, but your life situation can be tremendously difficult. What happened to them was they were followers of Jesus. They all thought Jesus, like they said, was going to be the redeemer of Israel and set all the Jewish people free from, from their military occupation by Rome and all their hardships and establish justice even in the whole world. And then the, the leaders that they had trusted betrayed Jesus, fried him, turned him over to the Romans, and he was crucified by the Roman governor. And everyone you know, abandoned Jesus, and like their whole lives, in one moment, in one day, were just flipped upside down. And they're, they're, they, it's hard to imagine how crushed they were. If you've ever lost someone close to you, you've gotten close to the feeling that they had at that point. So they had this hope that he would redeem their people. They heard these reports, it says in here, before Jesus came up and began to talk to them. They started hearing reports that Jesus was alive. From the very first day, that very first day, the reports started happening. Women started saying, we've seen Jesus. We've seen angels. Uh, Peter said he saw Jesus. But they didn't believe these reports. And, and you, can, you can imagine, here's what they felt. They felt confused. 
Ever felt confused? Like really confused? Have you ever felt just mind-blowingly frustrated? They also felt heartbroken and hopeless. And that's a tough place to be in. And what, what the truth was, at that point, they had just stopped believing in Jesus. They just go, I don't believe in, in him anymore. I don't know what I believe now, but I just can't, I, I don't believe he was what he said he was. We'd hoped, and they, you know, they were, it, it's like the hardship that they were in just knocked them off their feet in terms of their faith. And so Jesus comes along to them, and he, he doesn't challenge their feelings. He doesn't say, you shouldn't feel frustrated, you shouldn't feel hopeless or confused. But what he challenged was their unbelief, that they didn't believe in him because of those circumstances. And so what did he do? He explained that that's the way it was supposed to happen, that they had had it wrong, that, that their sort of theory that the Messiah was going to be a military conqueror that everybody bought into, he took them back through the scriptures and it said, they, they realized, wow, we interpreted it wrong. It's, we got it wrong. And the Messiah was going to die. There was tons of passages in the Old Testament that said that. But they couldn't, they couldn't imagine that. They didn't have the capacity to think that God could win a victory through a defeat. That isn't the way that you win wars, right? You win wars by blowing things up and killing people. You don't win wars by having your stuff blown up and your people killed. And they saw this as a, as a war, and the Messiah couldn't come and be killed. That was losing. But they didn't understand why the Messiah was going to die, and so he explained it. And so all of a sudden, they had to embrace something that they couldn't get their heads around before, and, they, and he gave them evidence, you understand? He said, listen, here's the evidence before they knew who he was. He said, there's eyewitnesses that have seen him rise from the dead. Didn't he say he was going to rise from the dead? You saw him die. This was something God was in. This, this was a plan of God. They, let's see, uh, they, the, the eyewitnesses that saw him also went, and the tomb was empty, and there had been soldiers guarding the tomb. Jesus's, all his, none of his followers would have been bold enough to try to steal Jesus' body. Not with Roman soldiers guarding it and all of them having just had their hopes completely destroyed. Empty tomb. Then he told them that they, that they believed the scriptures. They were Jewish people. They were raised to believe the scriptures were the word of God. And he showed them that this was God's plan centuries before that was repeated by prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. But he challenges them. You need to believe. And you need to believe when it's hard to believe. And then they had this little moment where they recognize who he is as he breaks the bread, okay? And, and I've, I've said this in, in several different places recently, but meals are really an interesting theme all through the Bible. In fact, the whole Bible is, is sort of organized around four meals. The meal in the garden that started the whole mess, the Passover meal that brought the deliverance of the Jewish people, then the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, and then in the book of Revelation it says there's going to be a marriage feast when Christ returns. And meals are this, they have all this significance. And at this meal, when he breaks the bread, they realize it's Jesus. And then boom, he's gone. And it says at that point, they said, oh my gosh, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and explained or opened the scriptures to us? So they experienced this strong inner conviction that what Jesus was telling them is there tr was true. 
And then what they did was, and this is a choice you have to make. You can have this burning, you can have this conviction, this sense that something is true, but if you don't act on it, it's not faith. Faith is when you act on what you know is true, even when it's hard to make that choice. And so in the middle of the night, they're having dinner, right? It's, they were just telling Jesus when he came into their house, when they were getting ready to prepare the, mood, the food, you know, stay here. You don't want to be out on the roads at night. You know, it wasn't always safe. They immediately were so convinced by this experience, they traveled all the way back to Jerusalem. And that's a bit of a jaunt from here to tell all the people who were struggling with doubt what they had seen and, and, and to speak. And it was a risk for them to do that because the Jewish leaders that were uh, trying to stamp out Jesus, they were trying to stamp out all of his followers too. That's why they were hiding. Remember we read that, we talked about that last week, how the, the, they were living in fear for their life. But these guys, they went from confused, frustrated, and hopeless to confident, joyful, and full of hope because they began to live out their faith when it was hard to do it, when it was a challenge to do it. Now, it's, it, it's always, always, always about Jesus. I joked about this you know, a week or two ago that when you're in Sunday school and they ask you, the kids learn real quick, my kids did, when they ask you a question and you don't know the answer in Sunday school, just say Jesus. It's probably close to the answer. So the question is, when, if it's all about Jesus, is will we believe in who he is and what he's done? That's, that is such a crucial question. It seems like, well, that's kind of a fundamental thing. We're all here because we believe that. Uh, we say we believe it, but most of the time we don't believe it when it's hard because we, we're going to go through life. We all go through life, and we, we, we all live by faith. We all live by faith in someone or something. And the challenge is, is when it's hard is when you really need to trust Jesus that he's everything you need and more. But if you don't, and your life you know, goes into the ditch, it's because you start trusting in someone or something else. And that, you know, if you go back to the first meal mentioned in the Bible where Adam and Eve were tempted with this fruit, and the, the, the gist of it was, you can be like God. You don't have to trust him anymore. You don't have to depend on him anymore. You can, you can do what you want. You can call the shots. You can be independent. And that's the, that's the burning question that we always face when it comes down to faith. So it's one of the things that we've explored the last few weeks is just this whole idea that when you're a follower of Jesus and you're baptized, and whether you're baptized or not, the whole, the whole ritual of baptism is you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and because of your faith in what Jesus did, not what you do, you know the gospel says that you get a whole new identity. Your, your, your sins are forgiven. You become a new person with a new future. You have a relationship with God, and it's all because of Jesus. It's like when you walk in the building, you see the big cross there. It's because of what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago that he becomes everything that we need. Or he becomes the source of everything we need. It isn't just Jesus, but you know, he, he gave us a world, too, to live in. But we know, ultimately, he's the source of every good thing. And so this new identity says, we looked at this last week. Just track with me for a second, and I want to show you how this works in a practical, real-world way. When we're baptized in the name of the Father, we become a family. 
We're children of God. We've become part of a family. The body of Christ is supposed to be a family. The church is a family. It's not, a, it's not an institution. I mean, it, it, maybe in some sense it is, but at the heart of it, it's supposed to feel more like a family than an institution. And I don't want you know, pick on the Pope, but he was really criticized recently because of, in China, uh, believers are really persecuted in China. I don't know if you guys know that. It's very difficult to be a follower of Jesus in China. And the Chinese church is constantly under government pressure, and the Pope appointed seven bishops that the Chinese government wanted to po- appoint because they weren't loyal to the Vatican. And he fired seven bishops who were loyal to the Vatican and loyal to the church and the teachings of the church just for political expediency. And I just look at that and think, that gives the sense that the church is an institution and not a family. Because th- those bishops that cared for the, the believers that are there in China, they're struggling, that's, they, they felt betrayed by that. And, but that's, the, that's the, the problem with our church can be in this. It, it doesn't mean we can't have institution and organization, but we're supposed to be a family. And it's, and it's an identity that we have, whether we embrace it or not. Second, if we're baptized into Jesus, he's a servant. Remember we talked about this last week? Jesus is a servant, or a couple of weeks ago? And that we're called to be servants too. He's a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And, and a servant is someone who does whatever it takes, whenever it's needed, wherever it leads. And that's a challenging job description, but that's what you see in the life of Jesus. And then if we've been baptized into the Spirit, so the Father, Son, and the Spirit, the Spirit sends us as missionaries. And again, that's like really hard for us as believers to get our heads around, oh, well, I'll take the family thing and I'll take the servant thing, but the missionary thing, that's really, well, that's like not, you know, not, not, not interested in that, but that's your identity. Whether you live it out, a whole other thing. But we have this new identity in Christ, and so I want to, our new identity isn't a matter of will, it's a matter of faith. So I'll give you three just little working situations that you can see how this plays out. So when we refuse, if we're a family, and we refuse to be vulnerable to each other and honest about our weaknesses and struggles and let people know who we are, it's because we don't believe in Jesus. Because It's because we believe if we do that, people will take advantage of us, people won't like us if they know who we really are. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter what other people think of you. You're a beloved child of God. God loves you the way you are. Don't be a slave to what people think. There's way more freedom in living a life where you just accept yourself the way God accepts you for who you are. That doesn't mean we don't have to change and grow. But fundamentally, God says, I love you, period. That is a gift to you that you can't lose. That that is the Father's heart for you. But if we don't believe that Jesus gives us that identity, we're going to hide. We're going to fake it. We're going to avoid being known by other brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not going to tell them who we are. And then we'll, we live then in a prison of our own making. But if we believe in Jesus, it changes that. Did you see that? And the truth is, it's a little bit hard for just a few people to embrace this if everybody doesn't embrace it because it's, it's just an, an awkward culture that's created when some people are vulnerable and other people aren't. And so a lot of times in a church, that's why we don't feel like a family. But I don't know about you, but my family, 
the family that my wife and I formed and the family I came from, we knew everything, right? I mean, not that there weren't some secrets in the family tree you didn't know about, but your family, you know, you saw your, you saw your family in the bathroom, you saw your family in every conceivable situation, you know, you knew what bothered them. I mean, I'll tell you one thing. My son knows how to drive my daughters nuts. And it doesn't take him like hours to work up to it. He can say one sentence and it's like, you know, <laughs> like Thanksgiving's over. <laughs> how, did, how on earth did he get that, you know, psychological advantage over them? He was in a family with them. I saw his, he was, his birthday was a couple of days ago. And his sister put this really goofy-looking picture of him with his face painted up, you know, and he's kind of like, ah, like this. And, you know, I wrote a caption. I said, that's when we call the exorcists. Uh, you'd have to have seen the picture anyway. It just went over your head. Okay. Uh, when we're in a family, we know stuff, don't we? But the church can't be like a family unless we allow that to happen, unless we drop our masks and our guards. And I don't mean it's easy. And I mean it, it, it does take some time. And... and and we need to find safe people to do that. But, but it has to become part of who we want to be, or we, we're just conceding this is just going to be an institution. It's just going to be, uh, you know, like Starbucks. Just, I, I just want you to serve me a product. And if you don't serve a good product, there are other Starbucks. And the church is just not supposed to be like that. But if we don't believe in Jesus, it, it, can't, it can't be anything else but that. Secondly, when we resist being servants to others, offering like real hospitality to anyone and everyone, we, we don't do it because it's not our gift. We don't do it because we don't believe in Jesus. Because a lot of times we don't want to serve people because that makes us feel inferior. And we feel like I'm taken advantage of. And it, and it kind of collides with my identity where I work or whatever. And again, that we, we feel like we have to put on this persona to get people's respect. And if I serve people, I will be thought less of. In doing that, we have to realize we just don't believe the gospel. We don't believe that Jesus says, the greatest among us are the servants. 